Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 25. Listen for what God is saying. The next day, after leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. From far away, he noticed a fig tree and leaf, so he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing except leaves, since it wasn't the season for figs. So he said to it, no one will ever again eat your fruit. His disciples heard this. Early in the morning, as Jesus and his disciples were walking along, they saw the fig tree withered from the root up. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look how the fig tree you cursed has dried up. Jesus responded to them, have faith in God. I assure you that whoever says this to, the, to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and doesn't waver, but believes that what is said will really happen, it will happen. Therefore I say to you, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you will receive it, and it will be so for you. And whenever you stand up to pray, if you have something against anyone, forgive so that your, that your Father in heaven may forgive you your wrongdoings. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Good morning again. Um, my name is Emily McGinley. I realize I did not introduce myself. Emily McGinley. Um, I'm the pastor here at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park Woodlawn, um, with uh, the tremendous blessing to serve alongside many gifted um, folks uh, who are committed and loving and gracious um, who make up this community um, and help us be who we are and do what we do. Uh, before we begin um, kind of jumping into the scripture passage, why don't we just take a minute um, to pause and breathe every once in a while we do this. Um, and I feel particularly moved to do this because um, I've had several conversations with folks over the last week or so where really, really hard things are happening in their lives. And so let's just um, ready our hearts and minds, settle the things that um, are are moving in our spirit so that we can really be present and to, to be rooted in this moment. God, we give you thanks that your scripture tells us, reminds us that your love is steadfast and abounding. And so wherever we find ourselves this morning, internally and externally, help us to hold on to that promise and that truth to live into that in the best ways that we know how, and to feel your presence even in this moment. Help us to be present and aware and um, ready to receive what it is that you have to say to us through your word today. May we leave challenged, inspired, and reminded that we belong to you no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, um, I heard a, about a dating app uh, called Settle for Love. Maybe some of you might have heard of it. Uh, one of its kind of shticks um, was that uh, in addition to showing off your shine, your best attributes, users are also required to reveal a little shade. 
um, the things about themselves that aren't all that great. I mean, it doesn't have to be like the worst thing about you, like I have a fungal infection on my toe, right? But maybe things like I can be stubborn or I tend to be indecisive. And the point of it all is really to try and give a bit more of a real, well-rounded description of who you really are. The app was started about five years ago by two guys, uh, David and Jacob, after David was totally frustrated with the way that online dating, dating was set up at the time, at least. It was hard to get a sense of who people really were. People were so extra about emphasizing their best attributes, some might say to the point of lying. <laughs> and in some ways, you know, I feel like it's a little understandable. Um, it's instinctual to try and show your most attractive side when you're dating. But when it comes down to an actual relationship and life together, it can help to know some of the shadier aspects of your potential partner and for them to know maybe the shadier aspects of who you are, right? To be real about who you are and who you aren't. In a way, it is this difference, this misalignment of inner self and outer appearance that Jesus is zeroing in on for our passage this morning. Over the next few weeks, we're investigating some of the stranger things that Jesus did. And it feels particularly strange, maybe even offensive, to read a story about Jesus destroying a perfectly healthy fig tree just two days after a worldwide climate march. Um, I will make no defense for his actions um, in this particular way, but I trust that the God of creation had a handle on things. So, um, arboreal carnage notwithstanding, uh, let us forge ahead to unpack the broader point that Jesus was trying to make. When Jesus and the disciples um, are on their way to Jerusalem, they see kind of from a distance this luscious, leafy, beautiful fig tree looming ahead of them. It wasn't exactly the season for figs to be ripe, but some scholars say that unripe figs were the jam of first-century Palestinians. So it's possible that uh, Jesus was already mentally gearing up and getting all mouthwatery about the idea of what kind of tasty morsels would surely hang from such a delectable-looking tree. The, the level of rage, then, that Jesus demonstrates, even so, feels like a little disproportionate to the situation, right? Um, had it been a rough day? Was he hangry? We'll never really know, right? But it's clear that when they roll up on those branches, Jesus is beyond disappointed. He is livid. Because what appeared to be so promising turned out to be a total lie, which still would feel like an alarming amount of anger at a tree if you didn't go on to read what was next. Now, if you were listening closely to Brett, as many of you were, I'm sure, uh, you might have noticed that we had skipped verses 15 to 19. And this is important to pay attention to because actually it is these verses which help us to understand this passage uh, that we read today better. So a pro tip for Bible reading is that when a topic or an issue is introduced, then interrupted by a story that might seem like something completely different, but then is returned to, the stuff in the middle is key for understanding the stuff on the outsides, right? So here's what's in the middle. They came into Jerusalem. After entering the temple, Jesus threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a hideout for crooks. The chief priests and legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy him. They regarded him as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled by his teaching. When it was evening, Jesus and his disciples went outside the city. So here's another way of thinking about the situation. Jesus and his buddies and all the faithful Jews traveling in see the temple from a distance. 
It's been recently pressure washed for in preparation for the holiday, so the gold trim is shining particularly brightly in the sunlight. Herds of unblemished lambs and goats are getting corralled into the sacrificial stables. Food trucks line the perimeter um, and are cranking out delicious flatbreads and lamb shanks and manischewitz. From a distance, it is vibrant, bustling, and a populous place of worship, a proud symbol of Israel's spiritual strength. But then Jesus enters, and instead of feeling the spiritual vibrancy of a community enlivened by preparations for a meal that helps the people remember where they came from, what they are for, and who they belong to, instead of all that, what Jesus discovers is a center of commerce that operates little differently than any other Roman common space. Sure, there are rituals and symbols that are specific to the tradition that maybe line the walls and the layout, but... The whole setup inside, the commerce, the social hierarchies, it was really very little, little, it was very, it was little different than life outside in any meaningful way. So this time, Jesus ain't hangry. After some disruption to business as usual, Jesus ultimately seals his death sentence among the powers that be through his actions. Scripture tells us that it was evening when he left, which is a good indicator that even Jesus knew Jerusalem had become a sundown town for him. When he and his crew approach the place where that leafy, vibrant tree once stood, what they find is a plant that has withered from the root up. And it's important to pay attention to the way that the author of Mark puts it, withered from the root up. The source of its death, the disease that leached through the veins, did not come from a parasitic bug that attacked its leaves or the inadequacy of rainfall. No, the genesis of death came from the inability of the roots to provide the trunk, the branches, and the leaves with what they needed, what the fruit required to emerge and sustain, to pollinate and propagate. What happened? Why? How could such a seemingly healthy tree become so withered, so feeble, so ineffective, so quickly? Well, this past August, as some of you know, I had an opportunity as part of my sabbatical to participate in a 12-day workshop to learn the process and practices of theater of the oppressed. It's a movement and mode of expression developed by a man named Augusto Boal, um, and it was born, theater of the oppressed was born in a time of heavy dictatorship in Brazil. The practice focused on telling the stories and depicting the circumstances of the oppressed by the oppressed, using the aesthetics of the oppressed and for the movement and empowerment of the oppressed. Its goals are to help us see the ways that our oppression shows up, to understand the context in which it thrives and imagine ways to collectively disrupt its patterns among and within us. It was, as you might imagine, an unwelcome art form by the Brazilian government, which is why eventually Boal was exiled to Europe. After a while, Boal noticed something about people when he was living in Europe. He noticed something about people living in the global north. As he was teaching the method, people would, you know, different universities and groups would invite him. When he was teaching it, his language of oppressed and oppressor just didn't seem to click. There, are, there one, there's a story where he's teaching in um, in France, and uh, and one of his students says, you know, I don't really feel like I'm oppressed. I just like I'm just surrounded by shitty things that happen in my life, essentially. Um, so, so he. He kind of noticed that people felt or associated oppression with military dictatorship and overt censorship or governmental spying. But at the same time, though, even though those things were not present, he could see that people were oppressed in the ways that they were living out their lives. So then he wondered, 
where is the oppressor? And then it hit him. The oppressor, the oppressor is not on the outside, it is on the inside. He called it the cop in the head. We might call it internalized oppression, whatever you call it. The point was this. There is a self within us that desires to flourish, to express, to live in ways that are liberated and life-giving. He called this the rainbow of desire, that there is a rainbow of desires that exist within us. But there is also a psychological reduction that's at work around us. Whether it is beauty standards, we could talk about this ad and the scathing criticisms that have been made about this poor girl's hair, uh, or attractiveness, status symbols, or productivity as a gauge for personal value. No matter the narrative, the cops are in our heads, but their headquarters are outside. The aesthetics, ideals, and the economics of the oppressor. So we have absorbed their authority, kind of like a tapeworm in a lot of ways, resulting in malnourished ideas about who we are, imaginations of what could be, possibilities of what we could do in the world. And all of this is consumed, minimized, and diminished. So we constrain ourselves like, like my grandmother's feet, which were bound at the age of four. She lived her life hobbling everywhere she went, unable to walk more than a block at a time for the rest of her life, which was not as bad as it could have been since her older brother took the binding off when she was 13. Her feet were shrunken, and they were made shrunken on purpose by the wrappings that were put on her feet. Diminished identities, atrophied imaginations, minimized possibility. This is what Jesus saw when he saw that useless institution which looked so vibrant and inviting from afar. In the very cradle of God's tradition, the vehicle of God's promise, tasked with empowering, inspiring, and reminding people of God's presence in their lives, of the larger story that they belong to, of the greater authority that was present in their lives. Instead of these, Jesus saw opportunism. He saw hunger for power. He saw fear-driven leadership. He saw spiritual poverty and God's people being failed again and again and again. The fig tree is a symbol, if you haven't put it together. <laughs> it's a symbol and it's a warning. Just because you look good don't mean you are good. So tend to your roots. Water them. Clear the weeds. Get the cops out of your head. Pay attention to your sources of authority by paying attention to your spiritual self. Claim a counter-narrative to the ones that are at work around you that try to diminish who you are, that try to shrink your imagination, that have been absorbed by you. Now, at the end of our passage today, Jesus tells his followers, whatever you pray for and ask for, believe that you will receive it, and it will be so for you. And whenever you stand up to pray, if you have something against someone, forgive so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your wrongdoings. The only counter-narrative out there which assures us that we are deeply loved and held and belong, but also relentlessly challenges us to risk ourselves with and for one another is the story of God's people in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament. Cultivating practices that nourish our spiritual roots are what will help our tree of life grow strong. Tending to the branches and leaves in that life are what enable us to bear fruit. And so pay attention to what inner voices are speaking within you. Cultivate 
your spiritual gardens and get the cops out of your head. Let us pray. God, we are grateful that you have created us, enabled us, and seek to develop within us a life that is liberated, a life that is generous, a life that is loving and life-giving for others. We pray against those narratives and those systems and structures that would diminish our imaginations about what is possible within us and through us. We pray your spirit to be at work within us. We pray that you would help us to have the kind of wisdom that we need to know where to put our roots, to get the kind of nourishment that will help us to be spiritually strong so that we might be um, materially strong in the lives that we live outside, that we might be your hands and feet in powerful ways and bear fruit in the form of others who have been transformed, who have been given greater access to liberation in life as well. Help us to be strong enough internally, wise enough mentally, and trusting enough to be able to do this work together and rooted in your promises and your vision of wholeness of life for all. We pray for this. We pray that you would help us to be surrounded by people who can help us recognize those moments when we are falling prey to those narratives that keep us diminished in our imaginations. And help us to be strong enough and brave enough and courageous enough to call that out within one another, to call forth something greater, granted by you, shaped by you, purposed by you. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who showed us that it was possible to live with a bigger imagination, to act with greater boldness. We pray this in his name. Amen.